It's the saddest thing. World population is increasing, our cities are growing, more of us are living closer together than at any time in history, and the possibility of social connection is as close as our phone. But we're lonely. Lonely. This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Hey, it's great to have you with us here for another week of Signs of the Times Radio. We're going to be talking this week about the loneliness epidemic and its cure. And to help me to unpack these issues is the author of a great article in this month's edition of the Signs of the Times magazine. His name is Jared Stackeroth, and his article is entitled Community Connection Church. And I guess we're going to work our way through those themes as we chat. Thanks so much, Jared, for helping us out, yeah. for, for being here this week. Yeah, thanks, Kent. It's great to be here. And some really important issues, I think, to talk about with, as you say, this loneliness epidemic that's going on. This is sort of, for me, writing this piece, it reminded me of a lot of important things. So, mm. yeah, it was helpful for me to re-engage with this yeah, topic. Yeah, yeah, I guess, like, right now, this is... I don't know, it's a, it's a complex and layered discussion because we're currently talking a lot about another epidemic or pandemic, I guess we mm, should say, which yes. is the, the COVID-19 pandemic. And people are actually being encouraged to, to self-isolate, to disconnect from one another in physical ways. And yet we're aware that underlying our, our culture and our society in the West in particular, there is this sense of disconnection and this sense of loneliness. That kind of gets tricky, doesn't it? It does, definitely. And it's interesting too that over the last few years, there's been this sort of increasing disparagement of, you know, get your face out of that screen. Why are you wasting all your time on social media? You know, have some real contact with real people and, and there's value in that. But now we're being told, hey, pick up the phone, call someone because maybe visiting them in person <laughs> might not be the best way to do things. Use social media. You know, there are WhatsApp groups and Facebook groups kind of starting up where people are supporting their neighbours, helping each other out. People are contacting their elderly relatives and sort of looking after them. And it's it's sort of really good to see a, a community pull together. But then I guess we're also aware that there are people who were already isolated before this whole COVID-19 pandemic thing broke out. And perhaps right now they're even more isolated. You know, I've, I've had really tragic stories about an, an elderly lady sort of parked outside a supermarket, you know, sort of calling out of the window of her car for someone to please mm. help to pick up some groceries for her because she's too afraid to go inside. And, yeah. you know, while people sort of, you know, walk past or, you know, fail to make that connection. It's sad. Yeah. And, and something that came out of my article that I've written here, 40%, up to 40% of elderly people don't receive any visitors. Mm. That shocked and sort of saddened me when I mm. came across that statistic because that's almost half, mm. almost half of all old people don't have anyone come and visit them. 
at all. Can you imagine that feeling? Like when you're working, Mm. you're seeing people every day. You have no real choice when you're going, you've got kids at school or you're studying yourself. Mm -hmm. You're enforced into relationship. You're around people. But there are Mm. segments of our society, not just the elderly, but some of the... Young adults is the one that really surprised me. Yeah. Young adults, accessibility challenged people who can't, you know, attend a lot of the things that we take for granted. Mm -hmm. sort of thing Mm -hmm. they sometimes tend to self-isolate in Mm -hmm. in some senses because they can't access what we always do Mm. Um, or or even someone who's struggling with mental health issues or or, you know the sort of social behavioral sort of issues it's really hard to make friends if you're struggling with those sort of issues yes and 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 yeah the young people is surprising i guess because when we were young, you know, we'd go down to the park with our mates and we'd be outdoors a lot and we'd yeah. run around, you know, it was it was a really good time. But people are losing some of those, I guess, family, almost tribal or neighborly connections. Mm-hmm. And so the young people are just like on screens a lot and, and they are making connections. They are making mm-hmm. friends in those places, but also those don't always seem as tangible or as real in mm-hmm. their everyday mm-hmm. life. And so when something challenging happens when they go through a a health or a mental health issue they're feeling very disconnected Mm. and very isolated it's it's as if there's no one there to really help them Mm. sort of you know put their life back together or, or, or support them and i think our society particularly in the west has moved into isolation in a sense like i was reflecting on how i've grown up in adelaide so everyone i grew up with everyone in my family, my immediate family, don't live in this state. I'm in Sydney now. So mm-hmm. I am disconnected from all of those natural mm. networks that I was born into. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm far away. And that's for work. That's for necessity. I have to be here. Now I've formed new groups here. Yeah. But you do have these severe breaks in your life where all of a sudden you find yourself a bit at sea. Who, mm. who am I connected with now? Because everyone's really far away. They're really busy. I don't feel connected with anyone anymore. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's that transition period that, you know, as you're making that move from one state to another for work or, you know, you're in that transition period of perhaps, you know, your kids are growing up and leaving home or maybe you've left home and now you're sort of at uni somewhere else, you know, trying to build a new group of friends. That is actually a time when people are really vulnerable. I understand there is actually social research that, you know, backs yes. that up. Mm. That's fascinating. Now, one transition that we've seen in, in our society, I mean, you probably remember when, when you were young, I remember when I was young, it was pretty typical for people to live in uh, just a freestanding house with a yard, you know, the classic kind of quarter acre block and yep. running around yep. under the sprinkler in the in the backyard sort of thing, sitting on the, the porch or the veranda in the front yard and staying g'day to people who wander past. Then we have television that drives us inside. Then we have air conditioning and we shut all the windows and doors. And now we've got a situation where, you know, we're being encouraged towards more medium or high density living. Mm. You now live in an apartment block in, yes. in, in Sydney. So I'd be really interested to hear how you feel that change of your actual, you know, physical built environment has, um, you know, what impact has that had on your social connections on, on, you know, does it connect you more with people? Does it isolate you more with people? Because I notice every time I visit an apartment building, I get into a lift with someone, there's no eye contact, there's no, Mm. you know, like there's this wall that's up, you know, I seem to sense in, in apartment buildings. Has that been your experience? Not really, to be honest, Kent. You know, we've got 
in Sydney, a lot of us are forced to be in that sort of living because yep. they're just, they're cramming us in. High density living seems to be the way well, of the future. It's cheaper and, and you want a job. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And so for us, it's what we can afford and, and the situation that we can be in. Mm. But having lived, so where I grew up, I was still a kid. I didn't really interact with the neighbors too much. There mm -hmm. weren't kids my age in the street. Mm. To some extent, when I moved out into my first home to, to stay in, I was sort of in a rural, more rural area. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the homes around me were holiday houses. Oh, so right. there weren't really any neighbors that they I saw on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. And through church, which we'll talk a little bit more about later, but we've been encouraged to make connections. Mm -hmm. So my wife and I were quite intentional moving in, you know, for a little while we had some disconnect with our neighbors, but certainly as we've lived there for a few years, we've really gotten to know, especially on our floor, the mm -hmm. neighbors there, but also other neighbors in the building quite well and, mm. and would consider them friends. Mm. I, I mean, do, do you see other people in your building doing that, making those deliberate efforts to reach out and connect or, or is it a relatively rare phenomenon? I think people are willing and wanting to connect, mm -hmm. but they have trouble making the first step. Mm -hmm. So we have, in some senses, facilitated. Mm -hmm. Our neighbors on our floor now talk to each other and they're friends with each other because we've been mutual friends. And mm -hmm. so we've talked with them. Sort of brought them together. We've been talking with them in the hallway and then our other neighbor comes along who we also know. Mm -hmm. And so then they get talking mm -hmm. with each other. And so there's that community which expands, community sort of spreads it's mm. contagious it's sort and of so a ripple effect yeah. if you're willing or contagious yeah <laughs> if <laughs> i like talking it. about <laughs> epidemics <laughs> yeah if you're willing to make an effort or you're intentional about connection people are actually i do think even if they're not suffering from some of these antisocial things or they're really lonely mm. they are wanting connection talking about coronavirus there's been shortage of toilet paper there's been all I've sorts noticed. of things i went out to woolworths this morning it's ridiculous it's just <laughs> empty empty shelves, empty shelves. well yeah. our neighbor managed to find some and she passed some on to us because mm. we hadn't found any yet and yeah, i've yeah. I've found some more since, but we're quite well, we've, we've got enough for a week or two. Mm -hmm. we're, we're comfortable. Mm -hmm. We were running low and she jumped in and said, here, have some of my toilet paper. I've got, I've got enough. <laughs> so, you know, that's just, to me, that's just an example of what we should all be doing at times like this. When people are feeling disconnected, how can we practically help mm. someone? And, mm. and that simple thing, you know, we were intentional to build these relationships, but those relationships have blessed us in a sense mm, that mm. they are helping us and supporting us. And it's just a wonderful relationship that we have yeah. in that, in that building. And in, in your article, Jared, you, you point out that that like human connection with others has more effect than just making you feel, you know, nice and warm inside that there are actual like medical, like physical, um, you know, science, there's scientific evidence for the, for the benefits of, of connection. Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, part of it would be preemptive to some extent because a lot of, I think, loneliness and some of the mental health sort of things are linked. Mm. You know, trauma and some of these things cause us to isolate. Yeah. And, and so, when we do have that good support network, when we do have connection with other people, it helps us with some of those uh, things. It has it, a protective effect. It has a protective effect. It yeah. makes us more resilient. It, now, it doesn't necessarily cure that. You may still mm. need counseling or you may need medication. I, I'm not advocating just, you know, make friends and you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. Some of these issues are definitely serious issues that need 
extra intervention, but it does have that protective effect to have mm, some mm. of those those connections. Uh, it's sort of, I, I did a creative writing master's degree mm-hmm. and part of the thing I was looking at was trauma narratives, stories of trauma mm-hmm. and how I, my premise was that stories can actually heal. Mm-hmm. The, the storytelling process, being told stories, telling stories. And that's all about connection. That's mm. all about community. And, and and so what I found in, in that research is somewhat connected to this and the protective nature of relationships helping us with mm. some of these mental health, PTSD, depression, anxiety, some of that insulating mm. effect that having those connections in place will help you to be happier. It will help you to be mm-hmm. to be better off. I guess that goes to the quality of the relationship too, because it's not everyone to whom you're able to say, "Hey, listen, I'm really struggling. You know, I'm on medication for a you know a mental health issue, or you know, I'm still struggling with some stuff that's happened to me in the past, or whatever." Yeah, there has to be a degree of of trust and of mm. vulnerability in, involved there. Yeah, definitely. And, and and so, there needs to be care taken by you on who you connect with. Because mm-hmm. if you're in toxic relationships, if there are people around you that are not good for you, not healthy for you, then those mm-hmm. connections can actually cause some of those same problems that we're talking mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. The other, I, I guess, about the protection thing, and also on the flip side of that, when you are disconnected, there's more of a chance you may get some of those mental health things. So, yeah, I start yeah. talking about this show about the um, old people's home for four-year-olds from the yeah. ABC. Yeah, yeah. And, we we and, watched that, yeah. And 80% of those residents had mental health problems mm. and other things, geriatric depression, they call it, mm-hmm. because of the lack of the connection. Iso- because of the, the isolation. isolation. Wow. Part, that's part of the root cause. Yeah. And the depression is just the symptom of that. I and, don't and, and having those preschool age kids in there interacting with them, having this intergenerational yeah. like experiences and encounters just yeah, had an incredibly healing effect. Yeah, it it was funny, it was heartwarming. Yeah. And you point it in your article that it did get a, a little misty in your lounge room from time oh, from yes. time to time. <laughs> My wife, of course. <laughs> yeah, just just your wife. Yeah. No, it it was beautiful to see those connections being made and, and you know, four year olds are fun. Like they just say whatever they're thinking. And to mm-hmm. some extent, old people do too. They, yep, yep. they just pass caring, pass the filter, just say whatever. <laughs> and just to see yeah. these people interact who yep. are completely at different spectrums of their lives, completely different ends, but yeah. they just opened up and a lot of that stuff healed, healed them, helped mm, them mm. to connect better. And, and the funny thing was, Kent, it wasn't just their, their mental health, mm. their movement improved because mm. they had to, they were more willing to get up and go because they mm, wanted to be part mm. of the activities. Yeah, when you're dealing with a small child, you, that often involves bending down quite a lot and having to pick stuff up. and Yeah, mobility, <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah. They just felt better. So mm. that that's really important. The other thing, I guess, is that loneliness causes our brains to seek out rewards. So so right. they're not getting the dopamine or the, the, the hit that mm-hmm. sort of a good connection, a loving hug or a, you know, mm-hmm. might give you. So you're feeling starved of that. Mm, and, and you look so for substitutes. You're looking for something yeah. to give me a hit if it's comfort eating. You know, mm-hmm. for me, when I get stressed, that's a, that's a thing. It's like, I don't... Mm. Guilty, Your Honor. Yep, right. So, but for some people, it's severe addictions. It's alcohol or it's drugs, opioids. You know, Mm. there's a lot Mm. of addictions we keep hearing about in our society. 
And I came across this lady who founded Seek Healing, mm. which is a pioneering rehabilitation program that focuses on community and connection as mm. part of the treatment plan. Right. For, for, for like drug and alcohol addictions in particular. Yeah. Particularly addictions. And she's using this connection. She had been through opioid addiction herself. Mm-hmm. She had suffered from that. And I read an interesting book by a counselor who sees a lot of people to do with pornography addiction. Mm -hmm. It was a similar thing. He said, just putting band-aids on the issue, just trying to address the symptom, the addiction by accountability, Mm. by avoiding that Mm. activity that leads you to the Just say no, don't do that. Don't do that. Mm. It wasn't really helping. There was always Mm. a relapse. There was always something else because it wasn't one thing he he studied in his research, he found that addressing the core of the problem, the mm-hmm. core issue, would help much better than addressing the symptoms of mm-hmm. the issue. I, I think there's a writer called I think it's Johan Hari H A R I who says similar things about like drug and alcohol addiction. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, it's a fairly new field of research. I think mm. this guy was Jay Stringer. If if you're interested in his his mm. his work, Jay Stringer, he's a Christian psychologist counselor who who deals with addictions, but what this lady, Jennifer Nicolaysen, it's found is that she would get these people into communities, into groups and into healing, mm. and it would help address the addictions much more than just saying no, mm. accountability, some of those common things that we immediately think of when we, we think of addiction. Mm-hmm. And rehab, wow. You take this article in a direction that for some readers, Jared, might seem like a strange left turn because you ask us to consider form of community connection that has been around for, for thousands of years and, and you talk about the church. And, and again, mm. this is a little ironic because we've had um, the Australian government, you know, give us a series of well, more than just recommendations, you know, these these are now bans, you know, on groups of people meeting. So this is the direction where we're going and, and churches are, are closing their doors, uh, church buildings. And, and your article talks about the church. So what about the church, you know, yeah. in, in, in the age of, of COVID-19? I mean, are, are the issues that you bring up in your article about, you know, connection and how churches, are, you know, can be a healthy community and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Does that still work in these sort of circumstances? Look, I think it does, Ken, because we've got to remember that the church, for me, the church is people. Mm-hmm. You know, if we look at the Bible, the church doesn't describe, the, the word church isn't a building mm-hmm. and it's not a group of 60 to 100 people meeting on a set day of the week in a specific place. That's mm. not how the Bible ever sort of refers to church. Mm. The Bible uses a bunch of other different metaphors. You know, the bride of Christ, a relational Mm. metaphor. Yeah. The temple or a building, Mm. but that's all the participants being bits of the building, bricks of the building, you know, parts of the building together to make a greater thing. Yeah, I think the Apostle Peter says something along the lines of you like living stones, uh, you know, being built up to, you know, to be a, a temple of God. So, right, right. Yeah. Living stones. So each stone, each among you is one of the bricks, mm, not, not, mm. not the building itself. And then the body 
of Christ. So, mm. so the church being a body, you're all different bits of the body, but mm-hmm. you all work together as one. You're all part of that. And, and mm. so, and, and there's diversity in those, in that metaphor in particular, isn't there? Well, you that's know? right. The hand does a different thing to the foot. Paul mm. talks about the eye being different to the, the feet and the hands and the mouth and mm. all the different bits of the body have different functions. Mm but they have some unity of purpose. Mm, they complement one another. It keeps you well, it keeps you mm, moving around, mm. that sort of thing. So that's the first thing. The church is not a building. So when they say we have to shut our churches, that doesn't mean church ceases. Mm. That's not the end of church because mm-hmm. we are the church. As, as people, we can be the church wherever we go, wherever mm, we meet. Mm. So yes, okay, there's, there's some restrictions on the number of people you can have in one place, mm. but- a group of two or three, he says in the in in the in the Bible it says. Or Jesus wherever, said that himself. I didn't think he, he did. Yeah, wherever yeah. two or three are gathered in my name, mm. I'll be there also. That's that's my church. Mm. That's where I am. So, right. and no country has limited two or three so not far. Not yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Ha- church happens at your home. It yeah. happens. It can happen anywhere. So mm. we're not limited by the place or the restrictions on. Uh, movements in that sense. Mm. What we are limited by is our willingness to love and serve each other and to connect with other people. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Jared, you grew up in a fairly traditional church, and and, and I yes. know this because my mother-in-law still attends that church, and, and your parents do, yeah. yep. do too. Yep. And I, you know, I understand you still feel fairly warmly about that church. But since coming to Sydney, you've become involved in some fairly sort of innovative models of church. Mm. Are you able just to like give us just a little thumbnail sketch of, of what that looks like and and perhaps in particular in terms of like connection how mm. how those sort of more innovative models actually facilitate and, and encourage um, those those healthy connections and healthy relationships? Yeah, let me just say that with both of those churches, you, you, you've painted at sort of different ends of the spectrum and sure. they, they kind of are mm. in, in some senses, they're very different way of, I'll use air quotes here, doing church, mm-hmm. right? The a- same, as in going through the motions sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. A program or, or whatever, you mm. know, but at the same time, they both had a common element that I appreciated mm. and that was the love and the relationships in mm-hmm. that space. Mm. You know, as a kid growing up in the more traditional three hymns and a prayer, mm. sort of a liturgical service, yeah, very, pews, very much pick, similar. Pews and a pulpit. Pews mm. and a pulpit, mm. similar every week. You mm. know what to expect. And yet I still felt that relationship from some of the people there. I still felt valued by them mm. and cared for mm. by them. People in what invite each other home for, Inter- for lunch after yeah, church. And intergenerationally, like the old people would ask how I was going, the elder, older than me people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The friends in my Sabbath school class, all my friends, my peers, my parents' age group, they would all have picnics after church together. Like we had a lot of connection and Mm. it was really good. But the church I'm in now Mm. throws out maybe some of the liturgical, traditional Mm, elements. elements. It's like, well, church, the sermon is more of a discussion. The preacher might ask questions and expect answers. We might break up in between and wrestle with some questions together before presenting it back to the the wider group. It's a Mm. much more informal, interactive, interactive, Mm. modern, you could say, Mm. setting. But the love and the connection still needs to be there to make it work. Mm. That's what I've found. But part of that for this current church that I'm at is the cell groups, the small groups that we get together and meet. Mm. And it might only be two or three or four of us who Mm -hmm. meet once a week. Mm -hmm. 
outside of the traditional service of church hour. Right. So outside of the Sabbath or the Sunday morning, we're on a weeknight mm-hmm. or some people meet during the day. If they're stay-at-home mums, they can get together with their kids and have a small group in that sense. Okay. So, and, and is are those groups sort of demographically formed? I mean, you mentioned like, you know, mums with kids. Are there other groups that are like more older people or, or um, more like men or women? We or, have you know, had... Some of those sort of safe yeah. spaces? Well, that, t- it tends to be gender specific depending on the situation and that mm-hmm. helps to be authentic and mm-hmm. be real. So mm-hmm. I, I had an experience of a few difficulties, which I mentioned in my article, rough sort of patch. And those guys in my cell group could really support and love me through that. And mm-hmm. similarly for them, they've had some certain things going on in their life and it was really a space we could do that. So clearly you'd built that trust with them over That's what, right. the months and the trust, years. relationship, yeah. All those things were there mm. already. And so when when something terrible happened, mm. you could wrestle with that together. They mm. were there to mm. support you. And so they do somewhat be demographically or gender specific, but also geographically. Mm. So people that are sort of a bit closer together will tend to form, because we have people that travel a little way to come to our church. And mm-hmm. so some of them live closer to each other. So they form groups where they're closely connected in that mm. region. And, and I then, guess that's important. I mean, if, if you as a church are concerned for the issues that are going on around your community, it helps you actually live in that community. And That's right. You know, that, then you're able to actually you, do something. You and, live nearby other people who are in your small group mm. and then you can address perhaps it's not the same neighborhood as your mm-hmm church, Mm. wider body of church meets, but you can be more aware and interactive of things that are happening in your suburb or your sort of area. Mm. And so Mm. then you can... For, our, for example, our neighbours, you know, we, we, we've quite often run events or you could call them parties or, mm-hmm. or, or missional sort of opportunities on our balcony, had a big barbecue for everyone. And it's not just your church friend, you, you're actually well, the guys in too. my cell group yeah. bring their friends. Oh, right. So we all bring our friends, but because we're sort of close together, they're in some of the surrounding areas and mm, they come in okay. with us. We invite all of our neighbours, mm-hmm. friends. Christian friends, non-Christian friends, Buddhist, Hindu, Sikh, whoever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we're friends with, whether associating in our everyday lives, our, our work lives, or in our neighborhood for us, our neighbors, yeah, we invite them to that, of course, because we're just meeting, eating, and having a good time, and, and everyone mm-hmm. can enjoy that. You mm-hmm. know, that's to try and build connection and build a sense of community in our spaces that we live in we call it a sphere of influence in your Mm. sphere of influence yeah yeah um i guess some of our listeners might be thinking wow where can i find a a church like that and there may or there probably won't be you know something in Mm -hmm. in your immediate area so how do we go about moving towards that sense of of closer connection of you know if we're a believer in particular how do we go about being the church rather than just going to church just as we finish off because we're just about out of time yeah good question ken um look i think yeah may have to go to church a bigger broader sort of more traditional church Mm, if you mm. do that you might find people there who are already doing some of these smaller groups right you may find that they're not or you may find that that church is not for you don't give up 
There are plenty of different churches mm-hmm. with different styles. There's the more traditional, like I grew up, which mm-hmm. would be fine. If that was the only church in my area, I could embrace that and mm-hmm. go with that. Mm-hmm. If it was a more innovative or contemporary, people use that word, mm-hmm. um, church, then yeah, that'd be fine too. But it may have to go. Sometimes you can find some of these groups on the internet, mm-hmm. you, you know, Google ahead and, and find yeah, yeah. out, hey, what's what's happening in my area? Who's around? some like on Meetup and... Yeah, meet up, people are doing groups. But I guess in light of what we talked about before, the corona stuff, Mm. church is changing. Mm. And so perhaps forming a little group with your neighbors or, or, you know, Mm. I've been thinking in in light of this, I've been thinking for a while, how do I invite my neighbors to experience the connection I have at church? And Mm. that's that's a difficult thing to get them to come out of their lives and go there. Mm. What would be so much easier is to meet in my home, have a meal, and perhaps something uplifting or positive or encouraging in these difficult times, Mm. right? Mm. Inspirational, you could say. So I'm thinking, well, I can't go to church, Mm. But I can still see my neighbors. They're just next door. Mm. As long as they're healthy and everyone's healthy and we're not spreading things around, why don't we meet up? Why mm. don't I check in with them from time to time? Yeah, so yeah. if you're lacking connections, sometimes other people around you are too. Mm. And you can be the the impetus. You can provide the impetus to make it happen. You can mm. be the spark, be the catalyst that gives people this sense of connection Mm, yeah it's important to reach out it's important to connect hey thanks so much jared you've really given us a a lot to think about i think what's clear is that we really do have you know a genuine need for for human connection it's Mm. the it's the way we were created to be i think we're wired for it definitely absolutely absolutely so yeah thanks so much for your time this week really appreciate it Jared. thanks for having me Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. This is an Adventist Media podcast. 